0: Science Faction is a show about unbelievable discoveries. Science Faction! Faction.
1: You're listening to Science Faction. Have you ever looked at a star? Of course I've looked at the stars. No, but have you ever looked up at the sky and stared at just one star? I think so. When I look up at the stars, I often focus on just one because I've noticed this really cool thing that happens. Really? What is it? When you stare at a star for long enough, it slowly starts to go away. Even if you're looking at the brightest star in the night sky, look at it for long enough and the light begins to disappear. Why? Well, I looked into it and it turns out that it has to do with how our eyes work at night. See, our eyes have two different kinds of cells that are sensitive to light. An outer type that allows you to see things out of the corners of your eyes, and an inner type that lets you focus in on something. Okay. The outer cells work great at night, but the inner cells,
0: not so good. So that means when you look up at the night sky, it's actually your outer cells doing all the work, so you see clearly. But when you focus on just one star, it shifts to those inner cells, And it looks as though the star is disappearing, even though it's not? Exactly. That answers that. But there are some types of stars that really do come in and out of our sight. And that is what we'll be learning about today. We'll be talking about short bursts of light from deep in space that we spot one moment, and the next, they're gone. Today on Science Faction. Space
1: Space Bursts. Science Faction 101. We speak in the thousand most used words. The researchers we talk to don't. These thousand words come from
0: the APCO 5 text editor,
1: made by scientists
0: Theo Sanderson. We build on these accepted words using prefixes and suffixes.
1: And we allow the use of numbers and names. From the names of people and places, to the names of life forms and scientific
0: fields. We see these few little exceptions as key to bringing you stories factually and informatively. And now for the show! Most of us have had a pretty good idea of what stars are since we were kids. Some
1: stars are just forming, some are dead and some have met their end by falling in on themselves. And each of these are steps in a star's life that look different to us from here on Earth. There are scientists, mainly physicists and astronomers, who study each of these different star formations. Dr. Victoria Caspi from McGill University in Montreal is one such scientist who mainly studies fallen in stars.
2: My typical research focus is studying neutron stars which are uh, very collapsed stars, actually not that different from black holes, except they haven't completely collapsed to oblivion.
0: These stars are truly exceptional. They are the tiniest, most tightly packed stars known to the entirety
2: of space. They have a a diameter of about 20 kilometers, so something city-sized, actually.
0: That might sound big, but for a star, it's really not many stars have diameters that are in the hundreds of thousands of kilometers
1: like our sun that's over a million kilometers wide and our sun is just a normal sized star the biggest known star vy canis Canis majoris is two billion
0: kilometers across when stars like this get really big about four to eight times the size of our sun there's a chance that they might fall in on themselves. This inward
1: fall happens to big stars because the star's own force draws itself in
0: towards its middle, the heart of the star. What's really incredible about these fallen-in stars is that even after becoming so small, they're just as heavy as before.
2: The density is so high because you have so much mass crushed into such a tiny volume.
1: As stars fall inward, they start turning really fast. They turn faster as they become smaller. Unlike normal stars, these quickly turning stars focus their light in just two directions, up and down. So each time they turn, we on Earth see just a flash flash of light light and then darkness. darkness. A flash of light and then darkness. A flash of light and then darkness.
2: And so what we observe are pulses of light coming from the magnetic axis each time it rotates. So we see one flash each time the star rotates. It's, it's like a little cosmic lighthouse. You have this beam of radiation that's coming off, and we observe pulses at the same rate as the stars rotating.
1: Which is why they've been given the
0: name Pulsar. The northernmost and southernmost points of these stars have a kind of force field, like we do on Earth.
2: You know, the Earth, the planet Earth, has a magnetic field, which is why compasses work. These points pull light
1: from the star towards them into one straight line of light. Just like a lighthouse, we see flashes of light at totally fixed and usual times. In fact, their turns are so usual that we can use them for keeping time, and they do it perfectly.
0: This is true for most of these stars, but there are a class of them that are a little... abnormal? They don't flash so expectedly, and they've been given a pretty memorable nickname.
2: Rats! are uh, objects that seem to produce one little pulse every now and again.
0: Most of the rats that we know of aren't that far from home. Well, if you're like Dr. Caspi and you consider what's in the Milky Way not far from home.
2: The extent of our Milky Way galaxy, it's not that large, you know, compared to the size of the universe.
0: Maybe in the eyes
1: of an astrophysicist. But even if rats are considered to be close to home,
0: we can't actually see them outright. What we haven't told you so far is that although the different stars we've been talking to you about do give off light, they don't give it off like any normal star you've seen before. They give off light in a waveform that the human eye can't recognize. So, to study these stars...
2: Using large telescopes, both ground-based and space-based.
1: But you might be wondering, if there's no light, what are they looking at?
2: So all you detect from the sky is a very brief burst, usually radio waves...
0: So physicists and astronomers come from around the world to the only two places where you can study stars in this way. The
1: Parkes Observatory in Australia, and the Arecibo Observatory, which is where Caspi's done
0: most of
2: her work. It's actually in the mountains of Puerto Rico. It's a really, really beautiful area.
0: You may actually have seen Arecibo before in some movies from the 90s.
2: Movies like James Bond, GoldenEye, or Contact, starring Jodie Foster. Well, those are kind of old now, so maybe not everybody's seen those, but I remember them.
0: And when we got talking to her, we found out that she kind of one-upped
1: 007. See, at Arecibo, hanging hundreds of meters in the air, there is a long and rather scary catwalk that researchers sometimes have to cross.
2: But I will point out that in the filming of James Bond Goldeneye, which you can go out and rent, I guess, starring Pierce Brosnan, he apparently runs across that catwalk but it wasn't really him it was a stunt double because he was too scared to walk on it and so i'm always very proud to say that i've done something that james bond was too afraid to do if you've seen these movies you might remember that this thing
1: is huge that's like three football fields across making it the largest
0: one on earth
2: and so it's not the sort of thing you can just hang off your balcony
0: Arecibo got most of its recognition when it helped with SETI, the search Search for for extraterrestrial intelligence. intelligence. But recently, the big discoveries at Arecibo have had more to do with reading the waveforms of stars.
2: Radio waves come from outer space, and they reflect off the dish that is specially shaped so that it gets focused into an antenna that's suspended hundreds of feet above the surface of the dish.
0: Because signals come in continuously, they can only study the sky for a fixed number of minutes at a time. But during these minutes, they look very closely.
2: So we measure basically the radio power every, in our case, I think it was every 64 microseconds. So every 64 millionths of a second. And we're so we're collecting huge amounts of data. Which all gets redirected
0: into control rooms. From those computers, scientists spend hours weeks and months sorting through the millions of signals coming in. CASPI
1: is armed with a team of researchers who together search for signals from fallen-in stars from the depths of space. And that is when they found it.
0: A signal. A short burst from very far away. Different from those blinking lighthouses, we see these bursts only once and then never again.
2: The fast radio burst from what we can tell, does never repeats. It's a one-time event. Five, maybe six of
1: these have been spotted at the park's observatory in Australia since 2006, but Caspi's discovery marks the first time that fast bursts have been seen from anywhere else on Earth.
0: And that's huge, because for years people have wondered if the fast bursts seen at parks were really happening, or if it was maybe some problem with their setup. Like with any scientific discovery, the results need to be repeatable to know what you see is actually happening. So scientists questioned whether the fast bursts spotted at parks were really special, or if maybe these signals were just coming from Earth. Seeing them somewhere else backed up the park's discovery.
1: Fast bursts are real.
2: All of the neutron stars and rats we know of are in our own Milky Way galaxy.
0: Of course, with a few exceptions.
2: Fast radio bursts seem to come from way, way beyond the confines of the Milky Way. In fact, at cosmological distances away. You know, a significant fraction of the age of the universe uh, away from us.
1: To give you the big picture, the entirety of space is thought to be 12
0: billion light years across. Now, a single light year isn't actually a year. It's how far light goes in a year. One light year away? is just under 10 trillion kilometers away. So, take our 12, 12 billion light-years, multiply that by 10, 10 trillion kilometers, and 10, 10 trillion kilometers, get a really big, big number. And that's where people think that everything s- sort of stops. The fast
1: burst found at Arecibo came from 3 billion light-years away.
2: Three billion light-years away.
0: That's one quarter of the way to the edge of everything. How they get these numbers and how they ensure that these signals aren't just background noise from Earth?
2: The way we infer, first of all, that the signal is cosmic, is through an effect called dispersion. The tighter the signal, the closer to Earth it came from. We know, roughly speaking, how much gas there is, how much ionized gas there is in the Milky Way. And so if it's a little bit dispersed that is the delay is small, then it's only traveled through a little bit of gas and is relatively nearby. Whereas if the delay is really large, that means it's gone through a huge amount of gas, and that means it's pretty far away.
0: That means that whatever it is that's sending off these signals is three billion light years away. And for
1: light to have come from so far away that we can see it here on Earth, the cause of this burst must have been really powerful.
2: The incredibly bright And especially in a really short amount of time, the FRBs that have been detected are all just a few milliseconds long.
1: Could it have been ET? The death of a star?
0: We don't know. Nobody knows. Yet. But what we do know is that these fast bursts could help us study the space between us and
1: them. We often think of space as complete emptiness, when
0: really it's full. Discoveries like this one can bring us closer to the space that surrounds us.
2: There's a lot about the universe that we already know, but on the other hand, there's also a huge amount that we really don't know. We're constantly still learning about our universe's amazing, uh, incredibly powerful objects out there, and that we, as human beings, actually have the capability to study and learn and understand them, and so it might seem Crazy that there's these ten thousand radio bursts going around across the sky, and how could you ever figure out what that was? But actually, we have the capability, the intelligence, the curiosity to go out and figure, understand in a quantitative way things that are three billion light years away. So I personally find that inspiring. That if we can understand these kind of phenomena that seem so exotic, so far away, and yet we can really get a handle on them and understand them. And not just in a descriptive way like you're hearing now with equations, calculating, predicting how they're going to behave then I think our potential as, as people is is really uh, quite impressive we, if we can solve that maybe we could solve some of the other types of problems we have here, uh, right here on Earth
1: Hi, I'm producer Nick Schofield thanks for checking out episode 3 of Science Faction Space Bursts
0: We're done for now, but we do
1: want to hear from you Get in
0: touch with us on Twitter at SciFact Radio and search us on Facebook. Science Faction is Dalal Hanna and Andrea Reed, with sounds and music made by Nick Schofield, and is supported by Jean Volontaire. Visit us online at ScienceFaction.ca. Okay,
2: bye. Bye, bye.
0: Bye, bye. Thanks again.